Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Intercepted. I'm Jeremy Scahill coming to you from the offices of The Intercept in New York City, and this is a special bonus episode of Intercepted. This man is not in politics. He's not a financier or a businessman. Yet today, he's one of the most influential men in the United States. Would you describe yourself as a revolutionary? No, actually, uh, I describe the corporations as the revolutionaries. I mean, they're basically the, the institutions who are trying to upset our basic value systems. And I mean that very, very uh, seriously. Uh, if, we, if you say our basic value systems, our compliance with the law, our arm's length relationship with the government, our uh, competitive quality uh, competition, our uh, concern for the neighbors, uh, our the uh, avoidance of violent impacts on people, and who are, in effect, uh, perpetuating all these uh, injustices. Corporations produce most of the violence in terms of pollution and hazardous products. Uh, they corrupt governments. Uh, they, in effect, make a mockery out of competition and quality in the marketplace as they concentrate the economy in the hands of larger and larger corporations. Uh, they uh, uh, violate laws right down the line, hundreds and thousands of them on a company-by-company basis. They're, in effect, revolutionizing the basic uh, ideal pattern of the society. That was a younger Ralph Nader. He's perhaps the best-known public advocate in modern U.S. history, a man who has run several times for president of the United States and a man who continues to be blamed by many Democrats and liberals for George W. Bush winning the 2000 presidential election, which, by the way, is a really fraudulent claim that's based not only on lies, but also on anti-democratic principles. Well, on this special episode of Intercepted, we're going to dig deep into several really important issues that are facing this country right now and the world. In case you're not familiar with Ralph Nader, he rose to prominence in the 1960s after blowing the lid off of the extreme safety issues with General Motors and other car manufacturers. His book, Unsafe at Any Speed, became an instant classic and was one of the most influential books in sparking the modern consumer rights movement. He's waged countless campaigns aimed at food safety, worker and environmental protections, pollution, cronyism in government, financial crimes, and more. If you ask Ralph Nader, he simply calls himself a public citizen. Ralph Nader perseveres, and at the age of 84, he continues to wage the very same battles he has from the start of his public life. Nader's latest book is called Breaking Through Power, and it chronicles his various battles against the U.S. government, big corporations, and concentrated 
political power. Ralph Nader, welcome to this extended episode of Intercepted. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's start with uh, Gina Haspel. Uh, This campaign that the CIA is publicly waging to support her nomination, leaking or publicizing memos that seem to uh, exonerate her of any direct role in the destruction of torture tapes. First question is just, have you ever seen anything like the CIA social media campaign that's being waged right now in an effort to get Gina Haspel confirmed as CIA director? No, and there are reasons why. Uh, one is that the, the CIA desperately wants someone from their own ranks. They don't want an outsider. They've been battered at times by Trump and others, which is pretty unheard of uh, for a president to do that. So they're hunkering down, and they want to. They don't want to lose this one. Right, and and uh, but at the same time, isn't the CIA supposed to be prohibited from engaging in domestic propaganda? I mean, it does. It does seem like they're utilizing their social media platforms to campaign for someone that there's very serious questions about her role in torture, black sites, and other issues. Well, who's ever found a boundary for the CIA? I mean, they're not supposed to uh, deal with uh, overt uh, armed action abroad, according to their original charter. They're just supposed to collect intelligence, and we know where that's gone. That's out of the uh, window. Uh, the CIA does what it wants under the cloak of secrecy and uh, national security. It does whatever it wants, and who's going to stop it? It has so many feelers all over the country and the world, and they really want her in because they think that uh, Trump is perfectly capable of, of uh, nominating an outsider who would give them a, a lot of trouble. And they've been jolted more than usually publicly uh, as an agency, and they want uh, stability as they define it. And it doesn't matter what she did in Asia in terms of uh, the Thailand episode and torture. I mean, that's what they do. That's what the CIA does all over the world. You know, it's interesting. As I watch uh, Trump supporters who are railing against the deep state and saying that, you know, you have all of these powerful people within the CIA, NSA, FBI bureaucracy that are plotting against Trump. Uh, the, The thing that comes to my mind is that if I were a really dark character within the CIA right now, I'd be very content with Trump being the commander in chief because he doesn't seem to understand the full range of powers that the CIA has. And it seems to me like they're able to do basically whatever they want right now without much questioning from the White House. Well, that's been true of prior presidents. They, they want deniability. They don't really want to know what the NSA and CIA uh, do. Uh, President Obama, President uh, Bush, President Clinton, uh, they don't want to know. Uh, they don't want to know that the NSA was uh, uh, dragnet snooping on all virtually all Americans, a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment, as well as the FISA Act. And uh, President Trump is no different in that way. What they're really upset about is, when was the last time we ever heard a president attack, quote, the deep state, end quote? He's not attacking some rogue outfit in, uh, you know, Af- Afghanistan that's an offshoot and maybe under contract. He's attacking the military-industrial complex's core secrecy operations. And that is freaking out people at the CIA, especially career people, who have never been uh, fingered that way from the White House. That's why they want uh, the stability of this present nominee. 
it's an interesting point that you're raising. The one pushback I would have on it, though, is that it it does seem that uh, given that Trump does not appear to have even a full staff in place right now and doesn't seem very committed to any sort of oversight function, that those fears within the CIA of Trump because he's railing against the, the deep state could could be unfounded given that uh, they can continue on with whatever operations they want right now without anyone really questioning them. I mean, look at the Senate Intel Committee, the House Intel Committee. They're running around on this Russia stuff. Are they actually conducting any official oversight of the CIA right now? Well, no, I, I wouldn't say any congressional committee since the Church Committee back uh, decades ago really conducted oversight over the CIA and recommended changes. That was during the Nixon uh, administration. But you have to keep in mind, style, secrecy, uh, being in the corner, not being in the spotlight, all this is, is, is essential for the CIA to continue operating. So even though they... I don't have to fear Trump uh, engaging in any oversight. Uh, they fear the, the kind of uh, sudden shaft of light that comes out of his tweets. And also, they, they can't assume that he wouldn't appoint a crazy to head the CIA. I mean, he just appointed a crazy, uh, lawless warmonger, John Bolton, to be his national security advisor. You don't think that reverberates at the CIA? Oh, I, I, I think absolutely. I, I just, I'm just trying to say that I think there are a number of complicated dynamics at play. Obviously, I agree with your analysis, particularly on, on uh, Senate uh, oversight not really occurring with the CIA for many decades. What about Mike Pompeo now going over from CIA to State Department? Well, he's the last person to be appointed head of the nation's diplomats. I mean, uh, Pompeo is a warmonger. His statements when he was a congressman uh, were, were just off off the charts, only to be exceeded by the crazed uh, John Bolton. Now he's pulling back and, you know, he's moderating and he has to deal with the Foreign Service. He doesn't want to disrupt any further a shattered or fractured State Department. But he is a part of this clique uh, that's growing around Trump uh, to use armed force regardless of international law or the Constitution or federal statutes. It's remarkable that uh, he and Bolton uh, don't believe in the rule of law at all. It's just bomb them. And uh, we're going to get to Bolton, I hope, but they are uh, kin. Uh, one, uh, Pompeo is a graduate of Harvard Law School, and John Bolton's a graduate of Yale Law School, and they're the shame of both law schools. It isn't that they just pursue policies abroad that p reasonable people can disagree with. They are constantly pursuing uh, illegal criminal acts of aggression. What about which is which is going to put our country into a more insecure posture? How many more years can we rely on the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean uh, before our one hundred plus year? Uh, uh, messing around in the backyards of countries over there, propping up bit dictators and uh, suppressing their own people brutally and playing around with oil politics. Uh, how long is, uh, uh, is that going to be a protective barrier uh, before the explosions start in the U.S.? Well, what, what do you say to, to people, and there's a lot of them, uh, uh, both the never Trumpers and uh, a lot of so-called liberal Democrats that, that take this line, well, General Mattis is the adult in the room or General Kelly is the adult in the room? Well, the problem is uh, everything's relative, isn't it, Jeremy? Yeah. Uh, the two uh, sources of restraint on a bellicose Trump or a wag the dog Trump 
uh, are the Secretary of Defense, Mattis, and, and his chief of staff, uh, General Kelly. But you see, if they can't work with Pompeo and Bolton, and Bolton is a bull, uh, he knows how to maneuver. Uh, he knows how to try to get his way. He knows how to intimidate. Uh, he has a high energy level. Um, it's quite uh, conceivable that Kelly will quit. He's already uh, talked about quitting because of the way uh, Donald Trump has mistreated him. And Mattis privately has said uh, before uh, John Bolton uh, took the post on April 9th in the White House that he couldn't work uh, with Bolton. Well, after that, he said, well, he'll he'll work with Bolton. He met with Bolton. But uh, let's put it this way. If you're projecting who's most likely to quit, uh, Mattis and Kelly are far more likely to quit uh, than Pompeo and Bolton. And that's the danger. That's the clear and present danger to this country. Right. And, I, and, and just, just to add one note on General Mattis, uh, I've, I've often thought that it is, it is really a ridiculous line to imply that he is you know, this sort of moderating force when you look at his track record uh, as a commander in Iraq, but also his views on Iran. He is a very hawkish military figure that uh, it now means that we have only nominal civilian leadership at the Pentagon because Mattis had to get this exception. And the case of John Kelly, he was infamous within the military, particularly when he was at U.S. Southern Command, for being a kind of overt xenophobe and very anti-immigrant. And and yet those two are being described in a positive way as like the responsible ones in the room. I, that's, a, that's why I said it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the... The critical juncture is going to be in mid-May. If uh, Trump uh, gets out of the Iran uh, nuclear decree, and he can because it was never a treaty uh, ratified by the Senate. It was basically an executive order uh, by President Obama. If he gets out of that, the question is, is Mattis going to take it? Because Mattis, as Secretary of Defense, is a bit more moderate and understands the importance of the Iran nuclear decree compared to his wild, belligerent, uh, marine-type statements in Iraq. Uh, But uh, is he going to say, well, that's it. You know, I I can't handle it anymore because once you pull out of the nuclear uh, decree with, once you pull out of the nuclear accord with Iran, you unleash forces out of Netanyahu's Israel. Uh, You create tremendous complications with the other countries that have uh, signed on and are not going to withdraw, including China and Russia, not to mention France and England. Uh, so th- this is a very perilous spring coming up. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it, if you look at John Bolton's first hours as national security advisor, it, it was all about uh, pummeling Syria and launching this uh, this attack. What what are the the top concerns you have about John Bolton being in this non Senate confirmed? very powerful position of national security advisor? Well, first of all, he, uh, he has a record, a demonstrated record of alienating Muslims and Arabs. Uh, he uh, is a prime advocate of anti-Semitism against the Arab people. He is associated with Pamela Geller, the notorious Islamophobe and uh, uh, web uh, patron uh, out of uh, New York. Uh, he has... Uh, had a record of uh, aggressively supporting the criminal invasion of Iraq under uh, Bush and Cheney, and says to this day that it was not an error. It was not a mistake. 
Uh, he still pushes for it. Uh, he's written an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, as many people know, uh, over two months ago, uh, urging the bombing of North Korea. Uh, he wants to overthrow the government of Iran. Uh, he supports the annexation of the Palestinian West Bank to Israel. He's out Netanyahu, Netanyahu. Um, he's crazed because uh, I call him a lethal juvenile because he never asks himself, what's, what's going to happen after you bomb North Korea or after you try to overthrow Iran or after you annex uh, the West Bank? Uh, and and uh, he is the worst possible uh, choice. Now, uh, having said that, uh, Bolton doesn't have many friends. He's a bully toward his uh, subordinates. He's what's called, what an uh, a, uh, observer once called a kiss-ass to his uh, superiors, and, and that's one reason why uh, Trump likes him. Um, he doesn't have many friends in uh, the Senate. The Republicans wouldn't even confirm him as an ambassador to the UN. It had to be a recess uh, appointment uh, by uh, President Bush in 2005. Uh, so that's consoling that, he, that he's alienated so many people. But all he has to do is persuade one person, Donald Trump. And uh, that's why there are a number of legal experts now who are about to put out a statement uh, that the uh, post of National Security Advisor is a confirmable post under the Appointments Clause of the U.S. Constitution. It's an office of the United States. And unless the Congress specifically exempts the office from confirmation, uh, it is a confirmable post. And uh, you're going to have some leading experts, Lewis Fisher, the leading constitutional expert out of the Library of Congress, Bruce Fine, maybe uh, uh, Professor uh, Larry Tribe, uh, to try to push that because it's retroactive. Uh, if, uh, if Bolton makes a bad move and alienates the Senate in terms of the midterm elections, the Republicans, anything like that can happen. There's also an effort uh, in the Congress for a joint resolution disapproving of the, uh, uh, of the uh, choice of, of John uh, Bolton. And, you know, I, I remember once I was interviewing Castro in Cuba, and it was just a few weeks after Bolton, uh, who was working under Secretary of State uh, uh, Powell at the time, uh, put out a statement without any authority uh, that Castro was engaged in developing chemical and, and uh, biological weapons. Well, it's completely false, and uh, Colin Powell retracted it. Uh, uh, overrode his insubordinate uh, uh, John Bolton, who he thinks is a, a perilous and, uh, and uh, disreputable person, by the way, but he won't say it publicly. That's Colin Powell. And when when, uh, when I was interviewing uh, Fidel Castro, he was terrified when he heard this. He thought it was a precursor to an attack on Cuba. You can understand that uh, that's not a particularly paranoid uh, 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 attitude by Castro, given our attempts uh, at overthrowing him uh, in, in uh, prior years. Uh, so you just can't, uh, you can't top uh, this belligerent, super hyper war hawk who doesn't think of any consequences. He was, he also, you know, avoided uh, going to Vietnam. He's one of these neocons. You might ask, well, how does he keep bouncing up if everybody doesn't like him? And there are two reasons. One, uh, he's useful to the military-industrial complex's extreme elements. You know, he wants more and more weapons, more and more contracts, 
And there are extreme elements of the military industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about who like him. And the other is the swarming Israeli lobby, which thinks he's heroic beyond uh, uh, their, their, their dreams. And, uh, and they, they support him as well. And then you put in the mix the neocons who keep popping up in powerful areas and who were heavily responsible for pushing Bush into Iraq uh, and elsewhere. And uh, that explains why this madman, and it, that's an understatement. He really is a madman. Uh, he is Dr. Strangelove on steroids. It's very hard to exaggerate um, the criticism of one John Bolton. Now, he, he may self-destruct. He may say the wrong thing. He may uh, get Trump pretty embarrassed. And we're all hoping that that will happen because Trump will give John Bolton the bolt if it's a question of embarrassing uh, Trump. But this is what happens. This is what happens when Congress does not, uh, does not obey the Constitution uh, and the requirements of the Constitution on Congress in foreign policy and national security. Well, it does seem that Trump is more bothered by John Bolton's very large mustache than any of the concerns that you're raising. I mean, Trump reportedly was uh, was wavering on him because of his mustache. Uh, and it could be that superficial of a thing of Bolton has like food in his mustache one day. Trump could just say, all right, you're out of here, rather than it being a policy embarrassment. Um, one thing that you left off the list, I'm sure not intentionally, because you you just gave a, a great list of, uh, of past activities and current positions of Bolton, uh, but also his support for for the MEK organization uh, in, well, they say in Iran, but really it's an exile group. And for years, this was designated, the MEK, as a state, uh, as a uh, terror organization by the U.S. State Department. Uh, that's the Mojahedin Ikalk, uh, which is the People's Mojahedin of Iran. He has taken money, has spoken at their conferences, has said that he uh, wants them to be in power in Iran. And Bolton is in league with some pretty prominent Democrats like Howard Dean and others in supporting and taking money from the MEK. And unfortunately, Senator Schumer has said many nice things about Bolton because he's so uh, fervid uh, pro-Israeli military government. And um, so that's, uh, that's another factor. But what you just said, Jeremy, raises a very serious uh, question about the endurance of Bolton in the White House. He has not gotten a top secret security clearance. It is going to take the FBI months, that's months, to find out whether they are going to come down uh, plus or minus on his uh, top secret security. And of course, what happens in in the case of uh, Jared Kushner and others uh, is that Trump gives them a waiver. So he's obviously giving a waiver, although the press doesn't seem to have asked about that, to John Bolton. But people who know his entanglements, and you just pointed out one, and his contracts and money and uh, who he's associated with, uh, believe that the FBI will not be able to come up with a finding that he deserves a top secret uh, security clearance. But he's receiving top secrets right now, day after day. I think that is a possible Achilles heel here, especially uh, if uh, the imbroglio over Iran uh, occurs and if uh, uh, Trump withdraws from the Iran nuclear accord. 
Let, Ralph, let me ask you about this recent um, airstrike festival that, that Trump and Bolton and the UK and France just participated in where they launched more than 100 cruise missiles and other munitions at a handful of facilities in Syria, supposedly as a response to uh, the Syrian government using chemical munitions in Douma. What is your view? Why did that happen? Because it clearly didn't have any impact on any chemical weapons uh, facilities or storage facilities. But maybe start from the beginning. What do you believe of the allegation that was very publicly made by Nikki Haley and now Donald Trump that Assad definitely was the party that uh, was in charge of using these chemical weapons? Well, I think the strike, the two strikes by Trump in Syria were basically macho strikes. He, he has to um, he has to show that he's tough and strong and commander in chief because it didn't have any strategic effect. Um, the other part of your question is uh, very puzzling in terms of trying to find a response because uh, there are claims on all sides that uh, there have been use of chlorine and sarin gas uh, by various parties from the Assad regime to uh, forces opposed to him. You can see the rationale. Uh, Assad is running short of ammunition in planes and uh, uh, lethal gas, a way to uh, smoke people out, uh, to use one of George W. Bush's phrases, in uh, urban areas uh, and uh, create terror. And the other side, the rebels, uh, they want to uh, make sure that Assad uh, is uh, associated with uh, chemical weapons because that will bring the Americans in. Well, th the fact is that we've lost the war in Syria. Uh, the Russians and the Iranians have far more people on the ground. They have far more strategic interests, uh, and we're not willing to admit it. Uh, the rest is uh, mopping up ISIS with a couple thousand U.S. soldiers in Syria. Uh, ISIS is now being scattered, where it can become even more dangerous in other countries. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, civil wars are in, uh, incredibly brutal, more than other wars. Uh, our civil war killed 700,000 people in a time when our population was about a million or two greater than Syria. Uh, and uh, so this is a multifaceted civil war. And uh, the best that can be done here is to try to have an international peace conference uh, with all the parties that can pull the strings in Syria on Assad, on the rebels and on other factions. Now, if you look at the history of United Nations investigations in Syria on the issue of uh, use of chemical weapons, as you point out, uh, there are findings of responsibility for the Syrian armed forces under the control of Bashar al-Assad, and there also are uh, are uh, clear findings of responsibility for the Islamic State and other actors. What what I find really, uh, unfortunately, not surprising, but really significant to bring up is is that so many people, just because the United States government says so, say, well, this incident must be Assad's forces using the chemical weapons when these strikes that Trump recently ordered took place literally on the day that the uh, OPCW inspectors arrived in Syria to go and do their 
investigation. And and I think we're we're in a dangerous situation where if people are going to take the word of Nikki Haley or Donald Trump on an issue that the United States has a long track record of lying about, including the Iraq war, but also other examples, then we, we sort of are like led like sheep to our involvement in war crimes or in bombings that play no strategic purpose, even for the stated missions of the United States in Syria. You, you get what I'm getting at here that, what we, you know, how it, it's incredible to see Democrats and liberals sort of lapping up what Nikki Haley and the president are saying as though it doesn't bear any scrutiny. You know, I, I don't I wouldn't doubt if, if Assad was responsible, but shouldn't we confirm that? Yeah, and it's strange that, uh, you know, in a day of um, massive advanced surveillance and techniques, uh, remote and otherwise, that 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 has not been determined. I think it's it's because... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's in everybody's interest to, to accuse everybody else that they're using chemical weapons. Um, we should re- remind the listeners that a, a large amount of Assad's chemical weapons were given up and transferred to U.S. custody where they were burned on a U.S. warship uh, in the Mediterranean. But obviously, he, like most dictators, always want to maintain something uh, in reserve because it tends to be a deterrent. Um, and uh, that, that that's all one can say. I, I, I think that uh, it, we've got to focus on the problems that cause the problems over there here. And when you have the New York Times have a major editorial titled, yes, John Bolton really is that dangerous, end <laughs> quote. And the American conservative magazine uh, says uh, that John Bolton is uh, dangerous and that he's a prevaricator and a, a violator of law. That's the American conservative magazine. Yeah. Uh, the Times began its editorial saying, quote, there are few people more likely than Mr. Bolton to lead the country into war, end quote. So this is the route here that is under the control of the people. And people all over in congressional districts everywhere got to wake up here. 1% of the people mobilized in congressional districts representing majority public opinion can turn Congress around. If we turn Congress around, then we can start turning the executive branch around. So it's so easy, you know, to get mired into the, the pros and cons over there and the intrigues. And we want, we want to know more facts, of course, of what's on the ground for policymaking. Uh, but it distracts from our responsibilities here at home 
to put the heat on only 535 members of Congress from back home. And that's what we've got to focus on. Uh, on a different subject, Ralph, uh, as you're aware, last Friday, the Democratic National Committee filed this uh, lawsuit in federal court in Manhattan uh, against the Russian government, the Trump campaign, uh, individuals that the DNC alleges uh, participated in the uh, in, in, in interfering in the U.S. electoral process in 2016. And they also named WikiLeaks as a uh, as a party in the lawsuit, uh, even though the suit itself doesn't allege that WikiLeaks participated in hacking or knew in advance about it at all. It just says WikiLeaks was publishing the hacked emails. And that part of it, to those of us in the media that follow these issues, is, is chilling because uh, what they're essentially saying is that news organizations or publishers that publish hacked or stolen material, which every publication in this country has done uh, repeatedly, that that's a criminal or sort of or an activity that should be sanctioned or or punished. What what is your uh, analysis of of this DNC lawsuit naming the Russian government WikiLeaks Trump campaign, etc.? Well, first of all, I think it's an insurance policy in case the Mueller investigation fizzles doesn't come up with uh, conspiracies, doesn't come up with indictments at the top. They already are starting with indictments at the bottom in terms of operatives under the uh, Trump uh, campaign. That's one. The second is uh, the Democratic National Committee wants to raise money, and it's a great fundraiser. The third is that when you file a civil lawsuit like that, uh, you're much freer to try to get information under subpoena and depositions uh, and get information maybe that uh, the Mueller investigation chooses not to get or not to disclose or the Justice Department. And four, uh, there have been criticism that the Democratic National Committee is moribund, it's hunkering down, and it wants to show that uh, it's in the center of the action. Um, they they got a aggressive uh, plaintiff lawyers firm, Cone Milstein. They know what they're doing. Uh, they've been around a long time, and they're very aggressive. And I'm sure they're taking it on a contingent fee, plus expenses. So what's not to like uh, from uh, the head of the uh, Democratic National Committee, Perez, who will not meet with citizen groups who want to suggest a winning agenda for the Democrats in 2016. Yeah. Uh, what is what's your broader sense of the Mueller investigation? And it seems to me like the goalposts ever widen and also the 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 shift uh, uh, has occurred from really focusing on is Trump a, like a sleeper agent or, or collaborator, conspirator with Putin over to, well, we may uncover all this other criminal activity in this investigation. I mean, it it doesn't seem like they uh, certainly what's available now in the public have been able to directly link Trump to any sort of a criminal conspiracy with Russians or Putin or Russian entities. Well, the Mueller investigation is going to lead to a lot of indictments, and they're going to hand off some of these to the U.S. attorneys because they're not set up in the Justice Department to pursue them. And as you know, they've already started with the U.S. attorney uh, in New York. Uh, they're finding a lot of things. So far, a lot of economic right. shenanigans. That, that's what they're finding. Uh, you know, uh, the kind that violate international laws, the kind that violate domestic laws— uh, hanky-panky 
And they're not really interested in pursuing that directly uh, unless it reaches uh, Donald Trump, uh, which it may. Uh, I mean, you're talking about an incredibly complex matrix of economic uh, webs and uh, tie-ins with the Russians. You know, he was uh, in bankruptcy again and again. He couldn't get U.S. banks to loan to his casinos. Uh, and this was at the time that the Russian oligarchs were pouring money out of Russia looking for a place to invest. So th there are a lot of trails here that can be uh, examined. Um, this is more murky than uh, your investigation of Blackwater, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> part of the reason... Of, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Ralph. In terms of the uh, network. So, number one, I think we're going to get a lot of prosecutions of people who deserve it, uh, but not in the sense of heading toward the top with Trump. Uh, as far as whether they ever get anything on Trump... Um, you know, who knows? It's all speculation. I think Trump now is more worried about Michael Cohen's uh, imbroglio with the uh, Justice Department and the seizure of his records uh, by the Mueller uh, team and by the uh, women who he uh, bought favors from filing civil lawsuits. I think a lot of people don't understand the enormous information you can get through civil action lawsuits under the law of torts. And, uh, and someone who does understand that is one, one called Donald J. Trump. Right. And, and uh, as we pointed out before on, on this show, uh, there's also a defamation suit uh, that was brought by one of the women who allegedly uh, was sexually harassed by Donald Trump. And she is her case is, is uh, based on the idea that Trump has maligned and defamed her by using his very powerful platform to call her a liar. And, and that case until recently was brought by Gloria Allred, but it's, it's proceeding. You mentioned the Stephanie Clifford, who's popularly known as Stormy Daniels. Her case could result in, in a tremendous amount of discovery being handed over. And then you have this, this Sean Hannity aspect of it, where he turns out to be sort of client number three of Michael Cohen. And, uh, and he is uh, basically like the shadow, I don't know what you would even call him, chief of staff to Trump or something. But uh, it's, yeah, you're right. The civil cases could end up producing an enormous amount of information that will be of public interest. And, and it might curb his tweetdoms because... We'll see about tort, that. The, the, yeah, because <laughs> the tort law of defamation um, against a public figure like Donald Trump uh, is great peril to him because he's so malicious and willful and deliberate. Now, the argument is under uh, a Supreme Court case, the New York Times case, uh, he can say, well, the people I'm attacking uh, verbally are public figures. They've gone into the public arena, and therefore uh, I cannot be sued by them for defamation, citing the New York Times case. Uh, but the answer to that is uh, you, you get away from the New York Times case if you're willful, deliberate, malicious, and provocatory. So, I mean, he is about as willful and malicious in tweets as anybody in, in the U.S. So he is uh, making himself very vulnerable to a whole slew of defamation cases, which are going to embroil him, because the fact that he is president means that he's only above the law on issues of war, on issues of political outlawry. That's where presidents are above the law. Uh, but what many people don't realize is they are beneath the law when it comes to 
uh, conventional criminal law, which trapped uh, uh, Nixon, obstruction of justice, and conventional tort law, which trapped Clinton in uh, losing his license due to perjury under a deposition. And I don't think that's made clear enough because people think presidents can get away with almost anything, and they certainly have demonstrated that, and you have documented that again and again in your work, Jeremy Scahill. But they don't understand. They cannot get away from the mundane criminal law and civil law of torts. Right. And, and uh, well, we also saw a kind of replay of that in, to a degree with the um, recent pardon of Scooter Libby. And, you know, it, it was interesting to watch the, the, the kind of right wing and neocon response to this where they say, aha, Dick Armitage is the one that uh, that leaked Valerie Plame's identity. And, and you know, th- this uh, this wasn't what Scooter Libby was convicted of. And that's right. He wasn't convicted of leaking Valerie Plame's identity. But we know from the court proceedings and from Libby's own testimony uh, that, in fact, he was ordered by Dick Cheney to do it. And uh, and he did that to Matthew Cooper of Time magazine and Judy Miller of The New York Times. But again, Trump, it's one of these situations. I'm not sure that Trump even knew who Scooter Libby was before he pardoned him. I mean, it sounded like he had some informal conversations with people. The timing with Bolton is quite curious, you know, to have. Well, yeah, first of all, he, wa- he wants the allies that he hadn't uh, gotten before he did that. He wants the whole Clinton Excuse me. He wants the whole uh, Cheney yes. uh, alliance to support him. He's never going to get George W. Bush uh, to support him, but he wants the, the Cheney core, and he wants to set a precedent for future pardons. He said, well, you know, I, I pardoned people who had nothing to do with me. I pardoned Scooter Libby. Right. So he's planning that way. People who think Trump is stupid uh, may be right in terms of his understanding reality and history and uh, the things that we would like presidents to be alert and smart about. But when it comes to street smarts and timing and the jugular, you can't find anybody uh, more proficient. Well, and James Comey on his big media tour right now has said repeatedly that he found Trump to be a man with above average intelligence. What what do you make of the whole Comey episode and uh, you know, the, the way that Comey has sort of proceeded here? I mean, for, first of all, you have this lionization of Comey that is happening on a lot of liberal uh, networks and in and in liberal circles, uh, but then you and and he has a track record filled with uh, anti civil rights, anti civil liberties uh, actions, and his time working in the Bush Justice Department and on and on. But in this specific case, presumably the guy is going to be an important witness in any uh, prosecution or investigation of Trump, and yet he's running around just sort of talking about all of this out and open. What's your sense of the Comey moment? Well, if I can guess, uh, one, he wants to justify his place in history. He's caught between what he did to the Clinton campaign and what he's doing to the Trump campaign. And he wants his explanation out there repeatedly on the mass media. And uh, two, uh, there is obviously an economic incentive. He's not a super rich man. Uh, A bestseller uh, helps uh, uh, the security of, of his family economically. And uh, three, uh, he wants to protect the FBI. I think he's infuriated the way uh, Donald Trump uh, pejoratively puts down the FBI. When was the last president who's done that? And that has shaken the FBI to its core. 
especially with recent resignations by uh, McCabe and others, or or, or firings by uh, of McCabe and others. I, as a very young reporter uh, and not so experienced reporter, Ralph, when you were running for president in 2000, I was at a press conference after you launched your campaign. I believe it was in Denver, uh, Colorado, and I asked you at that time. Uh, would you abolish the FBI? Uh, and uh, I'm wondering your thoughts on that now, whether we should even have uh, an FBI as it currently exists. J. Edgar Hoover uh, put the FBI on a very bad track because he used his secret files uh, to extort and expand his influence against high members of Congress who might uh, have offended him or uh presidents and vice presidents, and they were terrified of him. And you never want the secret domestic police to terrify the, the leading elected figures in our federal government. And that, that has lingered uh, at the FBI, that they have an undeserved reputation of excellence when again and again they have fumbled investigations. However, they do have a, a level of pride. They haven't had many uh, conventional examples of being bribed into doing something. Uh, And the uh, FBI agents, many of them are lawyers, members of the bar, officers of the court, uh, that adds to their pride. And they just can't believe how they're being beat up by the president of the United States. And Comey is viewed as uh, their defender, uh, the person who is out in the mass media where they cannot be taking on this man who is... uh, damaging and besmirching the reputation of the FBI. All right, Ralph, I, uh, a couple quick questions. One, uh, I was asking some colleagues, uh, if you could ask Ralph Nader something right now, what would you ask him? One of my colleagues uh, wanted to know what you think of driverless cars. Uh, hype beyond uh, any uh, reasonable belief. We're not going to see them anytime soon in the next 10 or 20 years. First of all, they cannot mix with driver uh, driven cars. It's very, very complex. Uh, the second is that there's a competition between companies over who's uh, uh, ahead in the driverless car arena, and they get publicity and approbation in the business pages for that. And so they have an incentive that's remote from engineering justification for a driverless car. Uh, third, uh, there isn't enough data to back up the claims of Uh, uh, Waymo or uh, uh, Uber or General Motors uh, that they're making. Uh, They haven't really tested it in real-life congested Manhattan Island traffic, for example. And finally, and this is the one that they never like to talk about at technical conferences, and that is that driverless cars have no defense against remote hacking. And that will terrify anybody who owns a driverless car or isn't a driverless car, where the companies can hack their way, they can uh, uh, coerce upgrades, for example. Uh, Car dealers can uh, immobilize the car if the installment loan payment doesn't come in on time. And most uh, uh, ominous is that uh, evil forces anywhere in the world can hack these cars, and they can hack them at the level of model year volume. Let's say you have 2 million Toyotas of the same volume. They'll be about to crash these Toyotas all over the country or the world. 
And that's why it's a no-no, and that's why members of Congress are disgracing themselves, pushing through legislation uh, that is deregulating uh, to a, a serious degree of risk uh, driverless cars and uh, trying to view it as a brand new industry and uh, getting caught up in the hoopla. Uh, so that, that bill has got to be stopped. Senator Blumenthal Senator Markey uh, and others are trying to stop it. But it just shows you that when the media gets caught up in a technical hype, uh, the consequences are very bad for consumers. They're very bad for politicians. And the media has just got to become much more critical. We need a Jeremy Scahill on autonomous cars. Well, I mean, I, I do find it fascinating. And I was just telling some younger colleagues about your work going back many decades on the seatbelt, on the on the sharp corners within cars, and that it, you know the ba- basic safety issues. It was a real battle that you uh, had to wage to even get minimal safety considerations uh, accepted in the automobile industry. And it's still a fight that I. You know, I, I really wish that more more young people right now, especially those that are going to be getting on the road, uh, took this stuff seriously. Well, they'll take it seriously because there'll be more uh, accidents and fatalities. You know, there have been two or three already, and they get a lot of publicity, and they sort of slow down this uh, hype uh, acceleration for these autonomous cars. And uh, uh, that that is not to say that semi-autonomous brakes and semi-autonomous Devices, uh, many of which are already in cars as standard equipment or options, uh, are uh, are not good. They are good, uh, but we're talking about the the nth degree of these cars coming up to your place and saying, "Take me where you want me." You know, I I have to say, Ralph, that when I listen to you talking about Donald Trump and the way that the national security establishment you know, views him and the the FBI right now and sort of he's shaking them to their core. I can't help but sort of daydream. What would it be like if we had an actual principled leftist who was in this position rather than Trump the disruptor? But if we had an actual principled individual uh, as as commander in chief, as president of the United States, the uh, sort of what that would even look like if, if you had sort of the moral equivalent of Trump on the flip side, somebody that was going after them for the right reasons, the reasons that, you know, you've spent your life fighting about. Well, it looked like is waging peace. For heaven's sake, there are enough examples in the last hundred years where waging peace instead of uh, first option war ha- have paid off. Uh, and uh, that's got to be the function of the State Department, which uh, under both Democrats and Republicans have been more belligerent in the statements of Secretary of State than the Secretary of Defense. Look at Secretary Hillary Clinton uh, that toppled the regime in Libya uh, against the wishes of Secretary of Defense Gates and the chaos and violence spreading all over that area of Africa is a tribute to her folly and to her arrogance in going to the White House and telling Obama it'll only take a few planes and we've got an alternative government ready to replace that of Gaddafi. Uh, So waging peace has a lot of benefits. It certainly won every public opinion poll in every country in the world, and that's not something uh, to be minimized. Second, uh, I would require the Pentagon budget to be uh, audited. The, The Pentagon budget is violating federal law since 1992 when Congress passed a law saying that no department or agency 
uh, can observe the law without providing auditable data to the general accounting officer, now called the government accounting, the government accountability office of the U.S. Congress. And every year, the GAO uh, reports on the Pentagon saying, "Sorry, we don't have auditable data uh, to audit the sprawling, uh, massive budget of 700 or so billion dollars now." And that's not a technical accounting matter because that is what. Uh, puts the trail on billions of dollars being lost in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, billions of dollars uh, of inventory available but not locatable by uh, the Air Force and Air Force warehouses around the world, so they buy them all over again. And it, it, uh, it, it uh, <clears throat> exposes this hallowed defense budget, which is being supported automatically by both Democrats and Republicans in the Congress, uh, and shows how it's draining our country as part of a runaway empire. All empires devour themselves, and the Pentagon budget is devouring billions and billions of dollars that could renovate schools and rebuild highways, drinking water systems, sewage systems, public buildings, bridges, public transit, you name it. And that's what a president should be doing. Every mayor, every labor union, every chamber of commerce. Uh, would be behind that kind of public works or infrastructure agenda. And then third is you got to empower people on Congress. Congress is the pivotal, most important branch of government under the Constitution. It declares war, or supposed to. It's got the appropriations, the tax function, the exposure function, the confirmation of nominee function. And as Warren Buffett once said, uh, there are only 535 of them on Capitol Hill, and we're 300 million, why can't we control them? And I'm amazed at how many investigative reporters and good editorialists, uh, they do the right denunciation, it's empirical, it's ap applicable to today's concerns, but they don't go back to the districts and say, it never takes more than 1% of the people that has a Congress watchdog hobby several hundred, year, several hundred hours a year with a few full-time people in congressional districts representing majority opinion to turn around our foreign and military policy with both conservative and liberal support. Last question, Ralph. Uh, what do you say, uh, part of the, the, the line from... Uh, from a lot of Democrats is, you know, that that people like Jill Stein uh, and and people who were aggressively reporting on Hillary Clinton and on the Podesta emails and the DNC hacks. And th this is a charge daily thrown at uh, at well, at you, at me, at Glenn Greenwald and others. Uh, what is your response when people say, well, look, look what you gave us with Donald Trump uh, and and Hillary Clinton would have never put us in the peril and danger that we find ourselves in with Donald Trump. Just look, John Bolton is now the national security advisor. And the Democratic Party could not landslide the worst Republican Party in history since 1854. The most ignorant, the most corporate indentured, uh, the most warlike, the most, most corporate welfare uh, supportive, uh, the most bailout prone Republican Party, anti-worker, anti-consumer, anti-environment. 
Uh, why don't they look in the mirror? The Democratic Party is the main scapegoater in American politics. It's never their fault. It's never Hillary's fault. It's always a Green Party fault. It's always an independent candidate fault. They've lost two presidential elections since 2000, even though they won the popular vote because the Electoral College took it away from them. There's a major national citizen effort to have an interstate compact to neutralize the Electoral College. The Democratic Party is not on, the, on supporting of that. The Democratic Party doesn't want to get rid of the Electoral College. They've lost twice to the Republicans. And that meant George W. Bush, and that meant Donald J. Trump. So this scapegoating is nothing more than a sickness of the Democratic Party that cannot unleash new energy. It keeps putting losers in place like Nancy Pelosi. It keeps pull, uh, putting... Uh, the Democratic National Committee apparatus against any kind of insurgent effort like Bernie Sanders. It's a sick, decrepit party that cannot defend the United States of America against the worst Republican Party in history. Does anybody ever have to ask you what you really think, Ralph? Well, what I really think is <laughs> we ought to make an accusation, Jeremy, that the Democratic and Republican parties do not really believe in democracy. If they did, they wouldn't attack the press when the press is uttering inconvenient truths. They wouldn't attack competitive candidates. A democracy cannot be a democracy if wealth is concentrated in a few hands. And democracy cannot be a democracy if it is not a competitive democracy in a multi-candidate election uh, situation. And the two parties have a autocratic duopoly opposed to those democratic principles. On that very powerful note, I want to thank you, Ralph Nader, very much for speaking with me. Thank you, Jeremy Scahill, very much. Ralph Nader is a pioneer of the modern consumer rights movement. He's the former independent and Green Party presidential candidate. He's author of many books, and his latest is Breaking Through Power. And that does it for this special bonus episode of Intercepted. If you are not yet a sustaining member of the show, log on to theintercept.com slash join. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. We're distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Jack Desidoro, and our executive producer is Tal Malad. Laura Flynn is associate producer. Elise Swain is our assistant producer and graphic designer. Emily Kennedy does our transcripts. Our music, as always, was composed by DJ Spooky. Until next week, I'm Jeremy Scahill. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.